Well, hello there. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor of Williamsburg Baptist Church here in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. We're so delighted that you're listening to our podcast, especially this one. This week, we move into the prophets, uh, into the prophetic literature of the Hebrew scriptures as part of our ongoing series in the narrative lectionary this year. And so today's sermon is based on Micah. In worship, we read parts of chapter 1, 5, and 6, but the sermon really focuses on Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, which is uh, one of the most famous passages maybe in all of Scripture. You might have a t-shirt or a coffee mug with it on it. Um, You know, what does the Lord require except to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Hope that this sermon is helpful for you and meaningful for you as you strive to do these things in your life. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can head over to williamsburgbaptist.com. Of course, you're always welcome to reach out to me at pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com if you want to connect, get coffee, or share prayer concerns. And I just want to say we are so glad you're listening. We count you part of our flock. Uh, it's funny to say this, but, you know, <laughs> sending a podcast in the world is often one-sided. I hear from a couple of you from time to time, and I'm ever so grateful when you check in or just say, hey, listen to your podcast. But just want to know that... T- to let you know that we are grateful that you're listening and that you are part of um, who we have in mind when we think about Williamsburg Baptist Church and what it means to do ministry and be the presence of Christ in this world. I'm so grateful for the ways in which you live out the presence of Christ in your life and all the ways in which God is calling you to show up in the world as you strive to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God as well. Hope that this sermon is a word of encouragement and challenge to you in your journey. God bless. What does God require? This past week, I was thinking about a conversation I had with a friend in college that sent me into a temporary crisis of faith. She mentioned a passage of scripture that I don't think I had heard before. And I didn't know a lot of scripture when I got to college, to be honest. I grew up in a church and knew some of the basics. But I'd either never read this passage before or just never noticed it. It's one particular passage in the the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. People will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. The passage terrified me. It made me more than a little anxious. She seemed to think that it meant that people who thought they were Christians and were faithful believers still wouldn't be saved, even though if they professed faith and had a relationship with God. And her interpretation of that passage flew in the face of everything I thought I knew about God and faith. All of a sudden, I found myself anxious about whether or not I was a good enough Christian. Uh, You know, I only did my quiet times, you know, well, never. (laughs) I was wondering, you know... Am I a good enough Christian? Do I do enough good as a Christian? And how does that affect God, my relationship with God, and my eternal destination? It threw me into a tailspin, for sure. 
As time passed, I have made peace with that one particular passage. But I know from conversations, even in our conversation this morning and Sunday, our spiritual formation hour, that I'm not the only one who wonders, am I a good enough Christian? Or if I'm really strong enough in my faith or doing what it takes to have a meaningful and authentic relationship with God. Sometimes the Bible doesn't seem especially clear about what it takes to be a person of faith. Am I the only person who feels this way? I mean, have you tried to read the Bible lately? It's long, right? And it isn't always easy to understand. There are a ton of laws and prophets and four gospels, not just one. And to be quite honest, it's hard to synthesize all of that material into one easy-to-follow set of instructions about what it means to follow Christ, right? I just wish it was easier. I can't help but think if God was trying to give us a clear path to faithful living, the least God could have done was to give us some sort of Cliff's Notes version. Many of us get it into our heads at some point or another that being a Christian means following various rules and laws and commands in the Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say something like this, the Bible is God's rule book for living. I saw one pastor online this past week describe the Bible as God's owner's manual for life. And that's all fine and dandy until you actually go reading some of the Bible. I'm convinced that this particular pastor never read this passage that I discovered for the first time yesterday, or at least noticed for the first time. Deuteronomy 25, 11 through 12. Buckle up. If two men are fighting each other, a man and his fellow Israelite, and the wife of one of them gets into the fight trying to save her husband from his attacker and does so by reaching out and grabbing his genitals, you must cut off her hand. Show no mercy. <laughs> Wait, what? I can see the headlines now. Pastor fired from church for reading Bible. I shared this one passage with Beth, and she said, I wonder how often this happened in antiquity that they felt like they had to write this down as a law. More than once, I'm guessing. You may have heard the acronym BIBLE to basic instructions before leaving earth, but I bet a bunch of us are violating Leviticus 19.19 right now. It says, do not wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabric. I'll pause while you check your tags. Anybody want to confess to sinning at this very moment? I see a few. Okay. Y'all are really honest. (laughs) My son Julian, who read Scripture Loves Pigs, bless his heart. But Leviticus 11, 7 and 8 says, The pig is unclean for you. You must not eat their flesh or touch their dead bodies. Someone's going to have to tell the William and Mary football team that they'll have to wear gloves from now on when they throw the pigskin on Saturdays. And last but not least, if anyone curses their father or mother, they must be executed. They have cursed their own father and mother. That person's blood is on their hands. Both of my kids would be on the hook at that at some time or another in their lives. I'm choosing not to follow that law. And I'm being a little bit facetious, but it it seems at times 
All too often we read scripture in a certain way and we get into our heads that we have to do all the right things to satisfy God, right? Maybe it's not these obscure Old Testament laws that I pulled out, but it's something else. Maybe if we make enough sacrifices, this God will love us. Maybe if we say exactly the right words in prayer, God will finally answer them. Maybe if we tithe enough, God will bless us with abundance. Maybe if we have the right worship music in church, God will send droves of new members our way. Maybe if I read the whole Bible from cover to cover, or preach the best sermon, or put a Jesus fish on my car. Anybody else ever get stuck in this type of thinking? Ever since humans have been sentient, we've been anxious about trying to please the gods. And as best as I can tell, religions throughout history have found these sort of specifics helpful in order to delineate exactly what you have to do in order to have a right relationship with God, right? What does God require? Still, Christians still ask this today. You've got to say the sinner's prayer. You've got to believe these certain things about God and Jesus. Give 10%. Try to convert your friend. The worst of this type of thinking involves pastors and power brokers who cherry-pick certain passages to single out people, and then they use the Bible as a blunt instrument and bash people over the head. You're a sinner. You're not good enough. You're not living up to God's requirements for faithful living. But Micah steps into this exact type of conversation and says, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. You've made it too complicated, folks. It's really much simpler than that. God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? We've been in the Hebrew Scriptures for 10 weeks now, moving steadily through the earliest stories of the Jewish people since September. This week we move to the prophets, and we'll be in the prophets for the next four or five weeks. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, some of the major prophets we'll encounter. Micah's one of the minor prophets, and the only difference between major and minor is length. Micah is a heavy hitter, though. Many of us, when we hear the word prophet, we think of people who predict the future, but in the ancient world, prophets were people who spoke God's words to God's people and to all who would listen. And an awful lot of prophets like Micah, you might have heard in what Julian read, spoke truth to power on behalf of the many people who were being ignored and oppressed by the religious elites and the religious power brokers. Micah's at work in the 8th century when the Assyrian Empire is casting its long and threatening shadow over the land. And everything in the world seems to be spinning out of the control. Like at any second, the whole house of cards might just fall apart. Maybe not unlike the way some of us feel these days. And Micah asks, what in the world is going on to make the world feel so out of alignment? And he writes to the elite Jewish leaders and politicians in the capital of Jerusalem, and he says, you're only looking out for yourselves. You're corrupt, and you seem more interested in power than in caring for us. And you don't seem to notice that your decisions carry global ramifications, and we're the ones who end up suffering. 
You're holding our feet to the fire to follow these specific religious laws in our scriptures because it suits your interests. But you seem to have lost the heart of it all. You fail to see the forest for the trees. So let me remind you. At the end of the day, it's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the rules. It's not about trying to jump through all the hoops and be perfect. It's so much simpler than that. This is all that God requires. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Make the world just so that everyone has enough, so that all might have the opportunity to flourish. Be generous with your love and kindness. Go above and beyond the rules to be kind. Let good and love and goodness overflow in your life. And remember that walking with God is not about sacrifice so much as it is relationship. It's simple, right? That's the good news today. Of course, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. The challenge is this. As best as I can tell, we've still got a ways to go to ensure justice for all in this world. And love and kindness still seem in short supply more often than not. And it doesn't seem like humility is a favorite virtue in 21st century America. What exactly does justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God look like? When I think about that, I'm not surprised that churches still emphasize attendance and giving as markers of success. They're much easier to measure than what Micah is asking us to do. But remember what religion is calling us to do in the first place, at its best. Religion, from the Latin religare, to bind together, like the very ligaments that hold our bodies together. Religion, at its best, should connect and bind or rebind us to one another and to God whether we find ourselves living under the shadow of the Assyrian Empire, under the oppression of self-interested politicians, in the wake of pandemics and elections, or caught up in sin or conflict of every sort. When the world feels like it's fracturing, fracturing apart, and it does at times these days, true and authentic religion and faith bridge the gaps and bind us together. And we begin to do that through justice and kindness and humility, and we can't do it alone. But by the grace of God, we have friends and partners on the journey. I hope you all know this, and I say this almost every time we have a quarterly business meeting, but I am so proud of you all as a church. I'm so proud to be your pastor. When I'm in Denver next, next week and people ask me, oh, what do you do? I can't wait to say, I'm the pastor of Williamsburg Baptist Church, and let me tell you about it. And I promise I will, for a whole host of reasons. But let me give you all one very recent example. Two weeks ago, a bunch of you showed up in force for Love is Love's Pride Con event, and it was amazing. It was just one way, one of many ways in which this community of faith helps to make God's love and justice visible in this world. You all wore t-shirts and made cool buttons and bore witness to a God who loves and accepts all people as beloved and shared God's dream of a world where each person is loved and possesses immeasurable dignity and self-worth. 
I could have gone to that event by myself. You could have too. We can try to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly on our own. But when we do it together, we're stronger and more effective and our voices more powerful than any one individual can be. We all give in, we all chip in one way or another. It's simple, it's not easy, but it's good work. And church, in my very biased opinion, y'all are doing an amazing job, so keep it up. Let's keep doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly together. Because folks, we just might transform the world. Amen. Amen.